Hi, this is Jeff B. Davis, not the creator of Teen Wolf, and you're listening to Diminishing Returns. It started as writing, and right from the beginning you knew this was different. Because it was happening in small villages, market towns, and then it wasn't on the TV anymore. It was in the street outside, it was coming through your windows. It was a virus. Before the TV and radio stopped broadcasting, there were reports of infection in Paris and New York. Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, uh, part two of our zombie, well, George A. Romero, really, trilogy uh, that we're doing for Octoberween. Ooh, it's not quite Halloween yet. Yeah. Night turns to dawn, doesn't it, Alan? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so, yes, I'm Alan. Hello. Over there is Sol. That, that was me, just jumping jumping the gun, <laughs> talking early. <laughs> there you go. And joining us again this week... Taking a break from filming for his OnlyFans account, it's Calvin Dyson. Oh my. <laughs> how, do, how do you know about that, Alan? I, I thought that alias I invented was working well. Oh yeah, that alias BondFan007. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Now, guys, we're in part two here. If you haven't listened to part one of our Romero trilogy yet, probably should go back and listen to the previous one, where we looked at Night of the Living Dead and lots of other things that tie into that. And then we also watched Diary of the Dead. That's which one it was, wasn't it? Yeah, these films are largely still seen and thought of as a trilogy, I think. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. There were three more films made after Day of the Dead, 20 years on, and they are not as well regarded. So instead of instead of doing all the good stuff, yeah, exactly, we, we thought we'd kind of spread it out. And the way we decided to do that was to cover them in chronological order uh, in terms of the story told within the films. Mm-hmm. So last week we did Night of the Living Dead and Diary of the Dead. This week we are doing Survival of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And next week we will finish off with Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead. Mm. Um, a bit of business up front. Uh, last week Calvin promised that he would watch the Night of the Living Dead remake so uh, we could have a follow-up discussion uh, yes. from Alan So that was a, another version it. of it from 1990, but like the official yes. kind of Romero-produced one. Yes. But, uh, what is it, Calvin? Billie Eilish released a, a video for... Yes. Uh... She released a song what, six months ago? <laughs> yes. And and they've only just put the music video out now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why's that? And so I had, to, I had to attend some urgent Bond business and... Uh, <laughs> React and film that reaction <laughs> and put it on YouTube. So I haven't watched that Night of the Living Dead yet, but I will endeavour to do so for next time. I do genuinely want to see it. But this is great. This is a that means that we can do it next episode at the end, and it'll bring the whole thing full circle. Ah, isn't that nice? It's a nice bit of through line through these uh, three episodes. Yeah, and maybe we'll be ending on a high. And you know what, guys? If you are gutted because you, you needed that extra bit of zombie content this week, it, Dawn and Survival of the Dead is not enough for you, and the Dawn of the Dead remake, which we will also be talking about. We we have just put up a Diminisode reviewing Train to Busan sequel Peninsula. Uh, I, I got early screen access to it. 
via my industry connections. So I, I've seen Peninsula, and we did a little review of it on our Patreon, patreon.com mm. forward slash Dim Returns, for that Diminisode and many others. Many others. And they're not all about zombies, but that <laughs> one is. So if you're sick of us talking about zombies as well, head over there, because, you know, we're also talking about, like, Bill and Ted. Yes, we That's did. not got any zombies in it. Bill and Ted. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to business. So... The focus this week is Dawn of the Dead, mm. but before we get to Dawns of the Dead, because uh, we are, <laughs> of course, going to talk about the remake and probably more than one cut of the original film as well, <laughs> let's look at Survival of the Dead, which is the next film, chronologically speaking, uh, in terms of the narrative. So how do you figure that? Night of the Living Dead is the initial outbreak as it takes place. Diary of the Dead is officially set concurrently with Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Survival of the Dead clearly takes place immediately after Diary of the Dead, or arguably partway through it. (laughs) There's a a character that connects them. Yeah, in in odd fashion for a franchise that has made five unconnected films, (laughs) uh, the, the sixth and final entry picks up with a character seen in one scene and kind of spins off into a new adventure following them. So yeah, I mean, Survival of the Dead is a weird one. Uh, It's George A. Romero's final film as a director, although he does have a film he made in the 70s, which I think is still yet to actually be released, but there's there's talk of it being remastered and and what have you and made available at some point. Uh, So, I mean, it's basically his last film. It's certainly his last film in the Of the Dead series. It's generally regarded as a, a damp squib uh, worst in the franchise entry. And this came after Diary of the Dead, so that's saying something. If you want more detail on, on what could have been, do check out How Didn't This Get Made, my little side podcast project at the minute. Uh, episode Delay of the Dead is out now and covers all of the George A. Romero zombie sequels and spin-offs that never got made. It's a good title. <laughs> Thank you. Diary of the Dead. Uh, oh yeah, and it was called Development Hell at one point, but I've changed the name of the podcast, just just in case There's... in case you somehow missed last week. There's very good technical reasons for that. <laughs> yeah, Diary of the Dead. Originally at one point the plan was to just do a sequel picking up at the very immediate ending of that film with some of the characters who, well, who, who survives? Two of them survive going into a bunker, is that right? Uh, the teacher lives. Three, the uh, teacher. three of them, sorry, yeah. So three characters from Diary of the Dead survive lock themselves in a sort of safe room in this mansion as all the zombies wander in and it's quite a bleak. How are they going to get out of this ending? And the plan was to pick up, do a direct sequel, but that obviously never came to be. And instead, George A. Romero honed in on the uh, actor who plays a, what is he, like a SWAT team member? Just like a soldier? Yeah. The guard, National Guard, I think. They, they National Guard, be, that's yeah. it who rob the characters in Diary of the Dead at gunpoint after running into them on the road. Uh, he he must have liked this actor. That's all I can <laughs> assume. Because there's, there's nothing about that character in, well, in either film, to be honest, to make you think, yeah, that's the guy we need to follow on the next film. There's a little bit at the start of the film with him doing a bit of voiceover about how he was in this documentary on the internet. And that's kind of all it has to do with Diary of the Dead. There's a, a couple of references to the internet early on, because they, they see a video posted online that leads them to this island. Other than that, it's kind of its own thing entirely. And and I, I think this film, I think one of the reasons that it's 
dismissed is that it is um crap not a big well yeah i mean get <laughs> as i was saying that i was like oh alan's going to swoop in and say <laughs> crap and then he did but i i think it's often dismissed by you know big zombie genre fans because they wanted something big and and proper ending as such you know and instead it really is just like a little footnote in the franchise like a little epilogue but i feel like with land of the dead george romero had kind of if he hadn't kind of done everything he could with it, felt like he'd done everything he could with it and was just playing around, having fun, making lesser B-movies there. See, I get that from Diary of the Dead because I understand, like, you know, maybe coming off Land of the Dead, which he had a big budget for and a lot of studio interference, I'm assuming, and that kind of thing. I understand, like, for a guy like him especially, he just kind of wants to step back, do something a bit quirky, a bit different. He wants to do his handheld thing, and that felt like an excuse enough for me. Yeah, you you are right. Um, Diary of the Dead uh, was a conscious choice to Mm. step back from making a big budget film because George preferred making little low budget films where he Mm. called all the shots that that I I think he you know was made offers to make a a big budget Land of the Dead 2 kind of film and he he ultimately decided against it so yeah I I think Mm. you're right but Diary still has that whole found footage handheld concept that I'm like okay I can see like why uh, as a filmmaker if you want to experiment and do something a bit different you would maybe do that survival of the dead i've no idea what the the pull is here um it's like two bickering irish families and <laughs> is, it, is it set in ireland it's not in ireland is no it? it's 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 a little it's it's set on an island <laughs> it's um it's a little island off the coast of Delaware, is that right? Do they say that? It describes a little island, but there is a very expansive kind of wide shot where you can't even see the end of the horizon. And also, (laughs) there's massive rolling plains, there's forests. It's a pretty (laughs) significant island, I think, to say there's two families living there. I thought it must have been like part of Canada or Los Angeles doubling as Ireland. There must be a line in there somewhere. It's bound to be Canada, isn't it? I believe it's Canada, yeah. George A. Romero is known for, you know, being from Pittsburgh and loving Pittsburgh and making all his movies in Pittsburgh up until a point mm. in his career. And somewhere along the line, he, he decided he liked Canada and that became his new hub mm. uh, that he worked from most of the time. Okay. But yeah, I I mean, look, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think this is one of, one of the most egregious ex- uh, examples of my opinions that you're ever going to come across on this show. I think statistically the most out of whack with me liking something more than everyone else on IMDb. Um, I think this is only topped perhaps by Home Alone 5. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Which uh, Alan and I both felt was actually a solid entry in the Home Alone franchise. Much better than it should have been. I don't hate Survival of the Dead. I think it works for what it is. I I think if you... If, like me, you spend a lot of time watching lots of zombie movies and therefore watching lots of terrible, low-budget, shitty zombie movies, to see something as competently put together as this is quite a welcome relief. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't doubt there are some to that, that would, yeah, uh, that I would enjoy less, but uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't excuse this one, which is... Most zombie films are terrible. But, yeah, I I, I, um, I don't hate this film. And, and I'll tell you why. I, I think... Unlike Diary of the Dead, I think the tone is a lot more knowingly playful here. There are far more moments of obvious attempts at comedy and silly little gags 
and I think that kind of makes the whole Western thing it's doing work for me because the premise is absurd. But Western? Yeah, he's going for a kind of Western pastiche, isn't he? These two feuding families out horseback riding gunslingers. Oh. But it's it it's Irish people. <laughs> uh... Yeah, but you got a lot of Irish people in your old westerns because <laughs> one of those Irish westerns off the coast of Delaware. You did get you got Irish people in westerns because they were first generation immigrants. It was quite a common thing to have your Irish characters in your. Oh, there, young Marty McFly's come to visit us. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the the main old man, the kind of one that. I suppose is set up as more of a hero than the other one, um, <laughs> less of a bastard than the other one. I I think he is actually giving a very fun, playful performance. I can get on board yeah. with. That's like Malcolm McDowell in Home Alone Five. Yes, exactly. But we we complained about a lack of actors being able to pull stuff off to that level in Diary of the Dead. I I think this guy is working at a level where it's like, okay, he's got this kind of camp B-movie nonsense charm about him. I'll I agree with this. you there, yeah. And and that does a lot to pull me through it. Like I say, the, all those things there, Western pastiche, crazy old Irishman, and <laughs> a, a sense of fun with what it's doing. Well, I didn't I didn't have any fun watching it, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> okay. You know, your leading man... He's a nice kind of, he's the hero, but he's a bit of a bad boy sometimes. But, you know, when it really comes yeah. down to it, he'll save you. That kind of character. Pretty stock, but he does it well. I think he's a solid... I was going to say, we, we touched on this last week, but it's absolutely true. And it's true of every George A. Romero movie. He works with stock characters and he does very little to flesh them out beyond their sort of two or three personality traits that he gives them. I mean, one thing I will say, I think the biggest issue with this film is that it's the only George A. Romero movie that isn't clearly about mm. something. You know, I, I, all the other films are quite blatant in their what they're trying to do, be that as simplistic as Dawn of the Dead's about consumerism. That's something we'll discuss later. Is it actually? I don't know. All the other films are quite clearly commenting on society in a specific way diary of the dead last week was whether or not it worked it was you know exploring our relationship with the internet and um this film i don't feel like it's even trying to make any specific comment it just seems to be a broad sweeping thing about conflict mm. Um, I, it's very it's very easy to read it as a pro-life pro-choice debate film but i don't yeah. think that's well intended. in as much as any of the messages he's putting across get across i suppose it's yeah. messy. of course if, if anyone if anyone listening hasn't seen it it's um the main conflict is there's these two feuding irish families well they're not irish they're american families but they have irish accents <laughs> yes the america the, o- the oflins and the muldoons like <laughs> yeah yeah but the, I, the idea is that I think they are just so removed from the mainland that they haven't evolved with the times and they're still living in the olden days, essentially. that That's the concept, uh, as stupid as it is. They, they get into a new feud when the zombies turn up because one of the families takes the opinion of let's keep all the zombies alive well not alive but you know in a chained up in a room somewhere so we can try and find a cure or you know they might turn back we don't know the other family take the opinion of they're zombies they're dead 
let's kill them all now, get rid of them, because they're dangerous and they're going to kill more people and make more zombies. Mm. Which is a fair argument. Yes. <laughs> it is a very fair argument, yeah. Well, the, the, the problem is, though, the guy who wants to keep them alive kills a lot of them, quite a considerable <laughs> amount of them, and it, and then it doesn't seem to be like he has any ethical kind of position. It's just like he's trying to annoy the other bloke. Yeah. <laughs> that works perfectly as a pro, pro-life, pro-choice debate. <laughs> this is my problem. I, lo- I just gave up on the story, like, uh, trying to understand what was really going on, all of this kind of stuff. I was finding it very boring or it was going over my head or so- anything like that. So I- I'm-, I'm looking at this as, like, just a-, a sequence of set pieces that hopefully are either going to maybe not even scare me, but creep me out a bit, or I can appreciate the horror filmmaking or something that is going to amuse me, something like that, and I don't even get that. It's like all of the zombie scenes are really... I think the staging is very dull for a start, and it's just... It's very lethargic. I'm I'm amazed that this can even be considered a horror film, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's particularly trying to be scary this one i think to be honest i think that's true of a lot of george romero's zombie movies i i think very few of them are really supposed to be scary uh mm. but we'll we'll talk about that a bit more i think it's meant to be a kind of adve- like pulpy adventure story another thing in this film that i didn't quite get was that they were trying to get the zombies to eat animals instead of trying to eat humans all the time. Yeah. But I didn't really understand the value of that, particularly. Like, why that was such a big thing that they were trying to do. Well, I think the idea is, if you can fill them up on animal meat, then they might become docile and you can keep them around as just, you know... As what? They might not eat people. I, I don't. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that subplot myself. It seems a bit of a stretch that the characters would take that much interest in that. To be honest, I think it's George Romero attempting to explore some new aspect of the zombie rules in this film that he hasn't done in his other films, and it would make sense if it came in a film set years after the apocalypse and not weeks. But I, to be honest, I think this film being set where it is in the chronology is a mistake. I I think it would work better if it was set concurrently with the likes of Day of the Dead later on. Yeah, I mean, look, I I know I'm not going to win you over to anything with this, and fair points, it's it's not for everyone, so do you want to spend any more time (laughs) (laughs) review and move on to Dawn of the Dead, which is what everyone's here for? Yeah, I've kind of said that all, all I have to say about it, really. It's, uh, I, it, it didn't work for me on any level. It's it's a two out of ten from me. Uh, I think I, I, think I gave Ooh. Diary three, and this was worse. Nothing much for me here. Um, I kind of like the last shot with the... Yeah, I love yeah. that shot, yeah. I, lo- I love that the film's willing to embrace that bizarre degree of poetry over realism that for anyone who hasn't seen it the the final shot is the two feuding heads of these families now zombies with their guns out because you know george romero loves the idea that zombies retain base instincts and memories and again this is something that i think would make this film work better if it was set years after the outbreak rather than the immediate Mm. aftermath because there's a lot of zombies retaining memories and going through their motions from when they were alive in this film and that feels like something that would develop as the zombies have been around for a while but anyway um the final shot is the two picking up their guns and walking out onto a, a horizon in silhouette at night to like 
shoot each other with these guns, like uh, an old shootout in a western, mm. and the moon is about seven times bigger than it should be in the sky. <laughs> it's I thought it worked, and I thought like the voiceover was quite like I yeah I don't know if that theme was properly explored, but I just liked the idea that these the two would be so like even in death they don't give up their feud. I thought that was quite funny. Um, yeah. So it gets it's above a one out of ten for that. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about it. Well, um, I do. I prefer this to the last one. I think it's probably an easier watch. I think that's basically what you're getting at, Saul. I think it's just an easier thing to watch. But at least the other one was trying to do something, if it not doing it well. I don't know. This one's a better film, mm. I think. However, I still only gave it a three out of ten. Mm. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm going the opposite direction, so I suppose it's fine if you want to be harsh because I'm being unreasonable. I I find this very easy to watch. Yeah, and and like I say, as a zombie fan. It it does it for me. I I don't particularly love it. I think it is very flawed, but I I can enjoy it, and I certainly get more out of this one than Diary of the Dead. So I'm giving this uh, a low but definite seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, I think that I think that might well be my most egregious example ever of me liking something more than the general public. The only other ones are Home Alone 5, as we mentioned, and I really like Bruno a lot more than the IMDb score as well, the uh, Sasha Baron Cohen oh, yeah. film. I think those are all the surprises you're going to uncover from me. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm I'm glad that you organised these films in this way. I'm glad that we're not ending on Survival of the Dead. I think that'd yeah. be a bit of a downer to kind of cover the the main three in the trilogy and then it'd sort of, yeah, maybe peter out. But, yeah, um, and I, yeah. I, I, I think it's it's a lot nicer to watch them in this order as well, going through for the rewatch, because it does always mm. feel like you kind of end on a bum note and watch a person's career kind of dwindle down as you if you marathon these films at all. And it, it's, yeah, it's been nice mm. getting the two weaker ones out of the way early on and then hopping mm. on to Dawn. Well, you say that as if this is going to be a great film. So let's address that immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Here comes Alan. All right. Al- Alan to rain <laughs> on everyone's parade. What cuts did we all watch of this? I'd like to get that. No I watched the theatrical cuts. It was, oh, okay. it was, whatever I watched was half an hour too long. I think you probably watched the US theatrical cut, Alan. Right. That's the default version of the film. That's the only version I had seen prior to prepping for this podcast. You want a quick history of cuts? Because this is, yes. you know, like Blade Runner and uh, several other films, this is a particularly notorious example of a film where there are different edits floating around and so on. But basically, there there was a really long cut, which is often attributed as the uh, director's cut, but it isn't the preferred cut from George Romero. It was like a working cut, which I think was shown at the Cannes uh, Film Festival and then restored later for some sort of DVD release or Laserdisc or what have you. So that that's not a cut I've seen or particularly care to see. George A. Romero wasn't a fan himself, apparently. Then there is the US theatrical cut. This is George Romero's cut, his preferred version. That's the one almost everyone has seen. Uh, the other big famous cut is the Dario Argento cut. Dario Argento, horror legend in his own right, helped finance this film. And the deal he struck with George Romero was that George would have the final cut over English language territories. Um, mm. So he would 
put together his own version of Dawn of the Dead for America, Canada, the UK. Dario Argento would get final say over the edit for the rest of Europe. He himself, you know, doing well, he was a he's a big horror guy in in Europe, <laughs> in Italy. So he, he he cut a film to match what he saw to be a kind of European taste and match his sensibilities. So his version is about twenty minutes shorter and it is far more action heavy with with no real character development, different music. There is also a kind of ultimate cut knocking around, which is just one of these things where a company has tried to assemble every bit of footage of the film together from all the cuts into one cut. Uh, But I don't think there's any sort of official, or, or at least creator, involvement in that project. And then, you know, there's things like TV cuts and Japanese TV cuts, but they're... Hmm. They're just weird little novelties. So yeah, I imagine we've all seen the the US theatrical cut, the George Romero one. This explains why there's that seven-disc box set coming out soon that I, <laughs> I saw. It's like £70 or something. Can I just oh, say Oh, I know, like, yeah. Do... Yeah. Now, right, come on, Alan. Let me Here you come put to my piss on everyone's on strawberries. Let me punch my cards through the table in anger. Beloved horror classic, because... Born of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think... It was the most infuriating film I've ever seen. It angered me so much. The characters, just everything they do is stupid, and they all deserve to die. And I, I wanted them all to die. No, it's not. I think they're very. I think they're pretty savvy characters who make a lot of smart decisions. Actually, I thought they. I felt like they were very real, and and the the silly decisions that they made felt real to me, as like someone in that situation might well end up going a bit nuts and doing some of the things yeah. that they do. Um, it felt real to me in that respect. Come on, Alan. Let, let what what. Let's go through it then. What are the decisions you should we go through the plot and you can highlight as well? We go, well, just let's just go do? through it. I'm sure I'll tell you when I'm annoyed about things. But I do I do like the the four principal characters that we have and it reminded me of Night of the Living Dead in that sense that it's very kind mm. of character driven they're having to deal with each other and it's all very downplayed yeah. these kind of the, the same kind of acting style I I did like that just the plot of it and what they do just fucking annoyed me so the film starts in a newsroom and mm. I I love this I, I used to quite dislike the opening of this film when I was younger because it, it felt a bit slow oh, yeah. to get into the action but Ooh. i don't know i i just i love watching the kind of chaos in the newsroom a 1970s newsroom which is probably quite a chaotic environment to begin with as the world is kind of crumbling around i i i love everything at the start of this film yeah, no, I, I thought it was really pacey, actually. It didn't feel slow to me at all. I thought mm. this newsroom thing was a really good way to get into the action quick and also get some exposition out of the way. There's no zombie carnage initially off the bat, so it's slow in that sense, but it's very, you know, quick in terms of things are happening and people mm. are doing Yeah, stuff. no, it's, it's, it's gripping, and I liked that you're sort of seeing people going about their jobs, but it's mm. also kind of cracking up you know it's it's coming apart at the seams as well because people are sort of yeah. slowly realizing oh no the status quo is not gonna survive this actually we're gonna have to do something which i quite like and i you know i i've said for at least 10 years now that i would love them to make a zombie movie that is just set in the newsroom like that we follow the the news team as the news starts to come in and they end up having to defend themselves and some films have gone 
into similar territory. I think there is actually a film that's done it called Dead Air, which is like a radio newsroom, but I'd like to see it done well. I love the hints that later on we get in the film where they're watching TV and it's like there's a talking head on the TV yeah. and then later on in the film they revisit him and he's just like, the, the, the set behind him is just like not organised. It's him and the other guy just shouting. It's it's like just completely, you do get the sense that they were just trapped in the in the room with the camera and the broadcast stuff. What are you saying? I mean, you know, you science. Dummies! You're suggesting Dummies! Dummies! Excuse me. Listen, quiet, quiet. Shh. One wonders whether it's worth saving. It's worth saving. For all I know, the brains are already dead, and it's the idiots that are still alive. I used to find those bits quite slow and annoying when I was younger, but again, watching it now, it's like, no, this is great. There, there's some great mm. stuff in the sound mix. You can hear people like off camera shouting things at them. And mm. it sounds very real. And and it's this very, like... I think it feels really real. It's like a very mm. realistic debate with this guy being like, look, it's not about Democrats, it's not about Republicans, and blah, blah, blah. And all these people, like, booing and jeering off at the side. And, and the, mm. the interviewer uh, trying to keep the thing together. And I, I love it. I love it. The fact that the guy's got an eye patch on is a bit of a weird distraction, but... Hey, that's George A. Romero for you. I'm, I'm sure there was some reason behind it. <laughs> well, it's obvi- like obviously George A. Romero had seen Nashville. He thinks, "Oh, I'll do a bit of that. That sounds that looks good." The the kind of Altman esque soundscape of the newsroom. It just it 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 needed to get somewhere quicker. It was just annoying. Unfocused is the word I used actually. But I think that's by design. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, it I think by it's by design, design as well. Pure yeah. unfocused chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it. But there is a focus in that we're we're focusing in on uh I mean she she's set up as our protagonist initially, Francine. Mm. So we're focusing in on her running around seeing this all unfolding, and she's got a kind of subplot going on. Well, it's the main plot of the film, but she's gonna go up to the roof and get on this helicopter, which is gonna make a run for it, and then you know, the news copter's going rogue because everything's falling apart and it's everyone for themselves. I think that's a really nice little way of doing it. It's 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 not the focus of the film up front. It, it's just there's chaos in the newsroom. She works in a newsroom. Or there's a, a little coup taking place that we're going to hone in on and go off with as a little tangent. You know, I, I love it. I think it's a great opening to a film. I think it's very real. And it, and it continues into the um, the next sequence as well, which is in a sort of uh, block of flats. I guess it's sort of yeah. like what? How do you call it in America? It's like council flats here. I guess oh, is what you like call a high it. rise, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And you have this police team, sort of like SWAT team, who have descended on this place, and they're trying to sort of restore order because there's been a, an outbreak in this thing, and they're sort of like bursting into rooms and stuff, but again, just that like, I, I really like both of these sort of vignettes at the start where it's like, you see people going about their daily business, and then it's kind of slowly dawning on them, like, oh no, this isn't like a, I don't clock off and go home and, you know, it, it, this is something else, and uh, mm. I love it, there's one of the guys, like, after the horrors that he's seen, he like, shoots himself, he can't take it, I, I think it's fantastic. For me, personally, this sequence is my least favourite part of the film. Oh, I love it! I, I do like it, don't get me wrong, but it's, I don't know, it's always stuck out to me. I think this bit is, I don't know, maybe just a tad too long, this bit, I don't know. I For me, it just feels like they felt, right, we've done the news bit, now we need to throw some zombie action in, mm. but it's kind of... 
it's kind of weak 1970s zombie action. So I guess the way it's like it, it, again, um, I don't think this is a particularly scary film. And I think this opening sequence is the only point where the film is trying to scare you. Uh, and I don't think it really works. Um, but I do like it. I think there's some great moments here. I do agree with you to an extent. It's like, I don't find the zombies themselves scary. It is more just the, um, I guess, just society as we know it sort of collapsing and it just dawning upon these people while they're in these situations. That's what I find the the scary part about this because and you don't get that later on in the film because it's just kind of established that things have broken down and mm. they're having to adapt and whatnot. Whereas uh, here, it's, it, it's that initial carnage that yeah. is, you know. And maybe it's just because that's, slightly more relatable to what we have experienced this year you know if you've gone to the supermarket in you know end of march uh, early april it's you know it's quite a strange sight to go in and see just entire massive supermarkets completely empty and you yeah. kind of wonder like oh god is this how is society gonna hold up um but yeah as i say i, I don't find the film scary but not only do I not think it's supposed to be, I mean, uh, there's a feature-length documentary about Dawn of the Dead on the DVD called The Dead Walk, and I can't remember if it's in that or the commentary specifically, but George A. Romero is on record as saying he doesn't even, or he didn't even view Dawn of the Dead as a horror film when he was making it. He, his, he said his intention was it was always supposed to be like a comic book, in that it's just kind of pulpy action with a bit of gore and a bit of comedy and a bit of, you know, thrills and chills, but not necessarily horror. Right, yeah. And I, I think that is how this film plays. I think it plays like a fun yeah. adventure with a real dark streak. And there are disturbing thoughts <laughs> that are dropped in there, but it's not out and out terrifying. Yeah. So yeah, it works for me on that level. I don't know about you. It hadn't even occurred to me that it might be supposed to be scary. I hadn't thought of that at all. <laughs> I didn't think that of Night of the Living Dead, to be honest, really. I didn't find it scary. See, really, I think Night of the Living Dead is a really chilling film, and it's full of proper horror. You you jokes. like existential dread, though, don't you? That's your thing. Yeah. I just think yeah, that doesn't yeah. touch me. What, what kind of horror does get under your skin, then? What does scare you, Alan? Uh, ghosts. <laughs> Oh yeah, you find you find the sixth sense scary, don't you? You're fucking... <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I mean the, the the whole opening. Basically, once they got to the mall, I was like, "All oh, right, okay, it, the film has started now." That's about thirty-seven minutes in, or something ridiculous. It's just this whole opening bit is should be done in five minutes. You set up the characters, you push them together somehow, and then that's it. I, I don't care about any of this. The mall's act two. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> you know, you've got a beginning, middle, and end. That's the middle. It's it's not... But the beginning doesn't tell me anything. The beginning isn't giving me anything. Well, it is if you haven't seen 500 zombie films that... If, if, if you're watching this film in 1978, chances are you've, you've maybe seen Night of the Living Dead. Maybe if you're really into your horror films, you've seen a few of the crappy Italian zombie movies that have come out since. But chances are you've not really seen any zombie movies before. There's a good chance you've never even seen Night of the Living Dead and this is the first time you've settled into it. I mean, there is very notably before they get to the mall, there is a sequence when they... Because uh, our, our, our character, the news copter pilot, um, Francine, who's what, a news reporter or researcher or something in the newsroom um they both hop in a helicopter 
meet up with their mate who's in a SWAT team. He's befriended some other guy in the SWAT team. Uh, they all hop in a helicopter and, and fly away. And we fly over a load of rednecks on the way to the mall who are just out having a kind of cookout and a, uh, you know, having fun shooting zombies. And it's it's clearly picking up the ending of Night of the Living Dead where we saw these roving bands of people assembling, posses of people with guns taking out the zombies. Yeah, look, this is still going on, but that isn't the end of things saved. It's still, like, society's still falling apart in spite of this. I mean, that that's that's George A. Romero's hippie beatnik side coming out again. Oh, yeah. And, and I think if there's one consistent through line uh, in the subtext of these films, it is revolution. Because this is a man who obviously came of age during the 1960s, uh, you know, cultural revolution. And I, I think that ultimately, when you drill it down, I think that is what these films are about. Sticking it to the man. Yeah, but, you know, and, and I think there's a real, just how the film's put together, that montage showing all the shooting and having fun, I think that's cut together like real old school 1970s Hollywood. That, that to me, evoked all these classic bits of very well-regarded kind of arty cinema it's 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 really like a just a little mon like like a collage of things just to wash over you for a few minutes it doesn't feel like a montage in the modern sense but i love it it's Mm. it's just like we're gonna drop in on this for three minutes and move on and and i think it works really well personally Mm. alan obviously doesn't (laughs) because because alan was desperate to get to the mall (laughs) <laughs> Alan was like a little spoilt brat on Saturday morning who wants to go buy his, the new copy of whatever video games just come out. Like, Mom! Getting mad at his mom who stops to have her hair done on the way. <laughs> Alan's there kicking the seat, yelling at her. Okay. So my other major problem with these opening scenes <laughs> was that we establish our principal characters here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what do we establish? So the idea is that the little one of the police guys, he's friends with the newscopter yeah. guy, but then when they all get together, it's as if they've never met before, they never speak to each other, the little one and the big one are really friendly with each other, but we've seen them only just meet, albeit in the kind of heat of battle and they've bonded as warriors. So, But that didn't make any sense. Like, why establish these characters if you're not going to stick to it in the second act? Eh, I mean, I've I've got friends who I'm not that close with, but... Are they the one you would say, hey, I've got a helicopter with one space on it, do you want it? Yeah, if they if they were, like, professional SWAT team members with guns and knowing how to use them, I might, yeah, I might go, oh, my mate's got, like, SWAT team training and a load of guns. He'd be good to <laughs> bring along, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I did just take it as people are just, like, panicking and just, like, taking the first sort of, like, oh, yeah, you've got a helicopter, yep, I'm coming, that's fine. If that's how it was presented, that would be fine. This is how you set this thing up, five minutes. You do a bit of new stuff to establish these two characters. The police are coming in, they're trying to sort something out. They run off to the helicopter on the roof. These two cops who are friends, their partners, whatever, they work together, they burst through. We've seen them already kill some zombies. They burst up to the roof. They're like, where the fuck are you going? They go, we've got a helicopter, we're just going to get out of here. And they go... Fuck, this might be our only chance. We're going with you. And then they fly off. Mm. No, I, I don't know. I don't like that. That's just... that's. I've seen that. I like this vague... Look, we're kind of loose friends. We've got a little plan in the apocalypse together. It's not very well thought through, but nothing is. It's all kind of winging it. 
it's the seventies. They probably never spoken to each other sober before. They probably met at a key party. Everyone was off their tits, <laughs> and now they're actually having to get to know each other properly. Well, they don't, but they don't. They don't attempt to get to know each other at any point. Yeah, because they're men. <laughs> men don't. Men don't do that, Alan. Okay, here's another thing. They just exchange stern looks and shoot zombies, and that's how they bond over shooting zombies. Well, you know how we talked about the poor representation of women in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I, I, right. My before you get into what you're obviously about to say, I think this film has fantastic, uh, or a fantastic character in in Francine. I think she's a really great, well fleshed out character. So, what's your problem with her? She's a fucking irritating character. Is what she is. <laughs> As are they all. Well, yeah. Uh, so this Alan who's a big fan of Barbara in Night of the Living Dead because she's a whimpering woman who just shuts up and sits in the corner and gets out of the way and lets the men do their business, <laughs> having men discussions. Alan doesn't like Francine because she actually speaks up and tells the guys that they're being idiots and gets involved in the planning and what have you. Is that what you think she's doing? Yeah, she's as involved in the planning as any of them are. I mean, Ken Faree, Peter, takes charge a lot of the time. Yeah. But... I, I, I should say she's not like a total badass character. I think she's a very yes. well-drawn, realistic character. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that she does have a lot of strength about her. I think she does go toe-to-toe yes. with the men. And it is established that she's pregnant very soon after this, really. And so mm. that that does kind of excuse why the character isn't sort of running around them all with the rest of them. Um, I, I think it's a shame that it does isolate her from a lot of the action yeah. later mm. on. And, you know, I don't need her to pick up a gun and, you know, be toe-to-toe with the guys. Like, I, you know, if you're after that kind of representation, then this isn't the movie for, for that. Um, but for what she is, I think she's very well written. I like her a lot. Her and Ken Forey are my two favourites. Um, and yeah, I, I think she works very nicely. Uh, to be honest, I think she's the best written character in the film, honestly. I think she's got the most depth and, and characterization. And to be honest, I think all the characters in this film, by the standards of George A. Romero, are very well realised. This isn't going to win any awards on its drama, but as characters in the middle of a zombie film, I think they're great. No, they think as as the characters, it really reminded me of Night Living Dead. Very similar style. It felt like yeah. kind of actors devising stuff and making characters rather than just working to a script uh, and working to characters they've been told to play. I don't know exactly how it was in the production, but that's what it felt like. And when we had moments of them interacting, of them, the, the psychology of the situation, I quite liked it, as I did with Night of the Living Dead. But unlike Night of the Living Dead, this is littered with other bullshit that really annoyed me. Most of that, I think this is what it comes down to, right? These zombie attacks take 20 minutes because they lumber <laughs> towards you slowly, which can be a threat on its own that you could make work. But it's just like fucking walk away. When you go in there, shut the door. Stop fucking doing stupid things and getting killed. You deserve to die, and I don't care about the characters. <laughs> See, I last time we, we Sol mentioned about how um, you know the the slow zombie. Yeah, one alone is not a problem, but if you have a group of them and you make bad decisions, then yeah, you are going to. And I like that this film explores that with the. We've been calling him the little guy. Um, I, I thought he looked like Brad Bird, the other um, swap <laughs> guy. Yeah, so I, I, I just kept thinking. 
Does he? I think you must have said that to me at uni because I've always had that thought in my head. Yeah, because I, so I just call him Brad Bird now. But <laughs> later on in the film, we see him sort of uh, take it for granted, I think, a bit. Um, yeah, and we yeah, see, he, get, he gets we careless, see him make, yeah. Yeah, and we see him make bad decisions and then that has an effect. And I, I excuse it early on in the film because I just take it as like, well, they don't really know what they're doing yet. Um, it's not second nature to them just yet. Um, I like the scene with the two children zombies and Ken Forey. I think he plays that really well. Like, they're not a physical mm. threat and he's, you know, just a bit confused by it. It's hard to shoot kids. Would you kill a child? That was the big question in horror in the 70s. And then there's this bit where this one zombie comes out and he's got this, like, Frankenstein monster head. Yes. And I'm what like... A, what a weirdly large <laughs> forehead this man has. I, I was like, oh, I suppose that's some kind of homage to, uh, yes. you know, Frankenstein's monster being uh, an early zombie in cinema or whatever. And then, of course, he gets too close to a helicopter blade and it, like, takes off the top of his head. And I was like, oh, that's why that that's... was there. Yeah. I love that scene. He has got a silly head that looks dumb, but, you know... You've got to go with the effects in this film if you're going to watch it. And I think that's such a great little moment because that teaches that character to be a bit more careful. But it's a nice little sight gag. Do you know Do you know why that um, that sequence exists? I assume you probably don't. No. As, as written, the film originally ended on a depressing note where, or a more depressing note, where our two final survivors, uh, Francine and Peter, would run up to the rooftop, and in the film as it stands, Peter basically says, go on without me, I don't want to live anymore, I'm just going to stay here. Mm-hmm. Like, he basically says, I'm going to kill myself, and he's about to commit suicide, and then he doesn't. At the last minute, he changes his mind and fights the zombies off and runs to the helicopter. In the script as written, he just kills himself there. And um, Francine runs up to the helicopter and looks at everything happening and at the last minute decides there's nothing worth living for and just thrusts her head into the helicopter rotor blades to kill herself. Oh, Jesus. And the final shot of the film was going to have the credits rolling over it. It was just going to be all the zombies huddling over her body, like eating her like headless corpse with the rotor blades running and the uh, the rotor blades were gonna stop running at the end of the credits implying that they wouldn't have got very far with the amount of fuel they had anyway because it was only enough to kind of hmm. fly for two or three minutes and that was the original ending as intended uh somewhere during production george romero was like you know what we we've been through so much with these characters at this point let's give them a chance let's let them live uh, mm. which is why we get the more upbeat ending where they actually do get in the helicopter and fly off uh into an unknown future but at that point they had prepped a whole head rigging special effect so they were like ah let's just chuck it on a zombie and do it at the start hmm how oh, interesting Okay, so Francine's head would have <laughs> just suddenly expanded. Yeah, would she have had that fake head on the whole way through the film so it didn't look odd right at the end? <laughs> I, You know what, actually, now that I think about it, it might well be... They did a makeup test and thought, this is shit, we can't do it. <laughs> no, I, I think I might actually be confusing it with that moment at the start of the film when the SWAT team explodes that person's head. You know that? Oh, uh, yeah. You know when they shoot that guy and the head just explodes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I might be confusing it with that moment special effect actually but and I think the the helicopter zombie was there to set up the foreshadowing that the rotor blades can be used to kill you I think that's what I'm thinking of but anyway uh yeah so they stopped to refuel I like this bit there there's the bit with the 
Like, like you say, you, Alan's complaining that they're stupid with the zombies and they shouldn't be harmed, but none of them are harmed at the start of the film. They, the only issue with those kids zombies is that they're inexplicably fast because George Romero couldn't direct these kids to be slow like zombies. They didn't get it, and I guess he just didn't want to shout at them or whatever to get them to redo <laughs> it, so they run at him. It works. Anyway, I think there's some really great... We, we spoke about the cinematography in Night of the Living Dead, and again, I, I always thought of Dawn of the Dead being quite conventionally shot and less interesting, because it lacks that same eye. It's not George A. Romero operating the camera anymore. There were some great shots in this film. I was really struck re-watching it. It's been a while since I've watched this film, honestly. And just shots like the bloodied hand in the helicopter when they land to refuel their helicopter. Mm. And really, like, evocative um, and creepy. Because stuff like that, I think, used to just... I took it for granted because I was watching this film with 30 years of additional zombie movies that have done that kind of thing but to think back this was quite still one of the earliest zombie movies in this sense of flesh-eating contagious zombie so the idea of bloodied handprints was quite new imagery for a film like that i think still i mean you know i'm not saying it's the first or it invented it but um should we move on to the well as Saul described i suppose act two of the film which is uh primarily set in this mall which i think is the most famous aspect of the film like you know when yeah. you hear people talking about the plot it's a bunch of people trapped in a mall with zombies which is a i think is a great concept you know it's a mm. nice setup they uh the, you know the the shopping mall was quite a new concept in the 70s to the point that the characters don't (laughs) don't all know what it is when they're looking at one in this film (laughs) someone has to explain what a mall is in in the film Mm. and you know that that's just because george romero and co went to a mall and were like oh we could do a zombie film set in one of these see i did want to ask like what came first whether that was the intent or whether it was just oh we've got this mall that we can shoot in let's make a film to do with that and that's where this came about i think they had a sense of we should do something to try and capitalise on Night of the Living Dead because we never made any money off it. And I think it was that combined with a a sort of brainwave of inspiration from like, oh yeah, this mall thing is something we can do a film about. Mm. So this, this film is famously about consumerism. It's a critique of consumerism. And that that is in there. There's obviously a sly little number of jokes about it and the idea that the zombies are flocking to the mall because they retain uh, a memory of it from when they were alive. Like, it is in there, but I I don't know. Is the film about consumerism? I I don't buy Mm. it. I've never really bought (laughs) it. I feel like it's a little peppering of... I think it's like we're shooting in a, a shopping mall. It's like the home of consumerism. There's bound to be a few references to it. That's it, isn't it? That's about it. Well, I mean, like I say, I I think it was the driving force and the inspiration that led to the film being made, but I don't think it's the the thesis of the film. I don't think it's what the film is about. Yeah. I think you summed it up very well when you said it's it's a peppering, and I think it is something, and 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 that kind of peppering for a film like this is enough to elevate it to a higher standing. I think, um, yeah, and and maybe that's what people respond to. I don't know whether it was we talked last time about Romero. It was he just sort of like you know walking backwards into themes and comments <laughs> and exploration, or or was it intended? It, I mean, if, if it feels a bit on the nose here, but then again, I don't know if that was just. 
if it's accidental or, or what. But what is it? What is it saying about consumerism then? If it's saying something, well, it's very like Kevin says. It's completely on the nose. We're all a bunch of zombies mindlessly consuming. That's the the joke of it. That's the idea of it. But our human survivors who are who are, do the same thing. They go. They get into the shop and go. Woo! Let's go and have a shopping spree. Mm. What I was about to say is, I I think this film is more about society and the structure of society in a whole and you know the way that the the most obvious thing being that you know humans are the real thing you've got to fear and you know that old chestnut it's not the zombies it's the humans and it's just about you know we we dress up our lives with all these superficial luxuries but at the end of the day they're not important and all that i i think these are the ideas the film is grappling with properly i think that's what it's about it's about the the structure of society the fabric of society and i think that making a little pop at mindless consumerism plays into that thematically but i do think it's very much a side tangent mm. it's it's just a nice little yeah extra element but anyway so they get to the mall they break in to get some supplies they pretty pretty quickly realize that they're onto a good thing here and instead of their initial plan, which was to stock up on food and stuff and move on and keep going to Canada, they they decide, hmm, maybe we should just clear out the zombies, fortify this place, and live here. Mm. Now, I think that's a great idea, Alan. So what what's your problem with the character choices here? <laughs> that's a that's a fine idea. Do you know what? I've been I've been sitting here thinking like what what was it that really annoyed me about this film? And I think there is a good film here i think there's a good 40 minute film and it's padded out not even with content that i'm not particularly interested it's padded out with a fucking zombie wandering towards someone uh, and them like not dealing with it in any competent way at all but they do they the the four main characters survive for the vast majority of the runtime and then one of them goes a bit delirious and careless and they make a point of him getting silly and careless, and then he gets injured and ultimately dies. The other three characters survive until the humans break in at the end, and one of them gets shot by a human being. Yeah, and the other two survive. Yeah, but he also he he gets shot because he he's, he decides he needs to be a dick about it. Like he, he could have just sat back. But that's that's with fighting other people. That's not about how he's handling the zombies. He's not making a stupid decision. Or it's still a stupid decision. You're saying they handle the zombies in a stupid way, and that's not it. For the he's, most part, he lets anger cloud his judgment with these people coming in. And because and... what they do at the end is like, oh, I just smacked it in the face and it went away. Uh, do that five minutes ago when it started attacking you. And oh, for fuck's sake, I don't think there are many bits where a zombie attacks them for five minutes there's there's a bit where they get a kind of gag out of a zombie standing perfectly still alongside a load of mannequins and then it lunges out and grabs one of them which is an understandable mistake that person makes he wrestles with it a bit and stabs it in the head with a screwdriver which is a a cool little special effect screwdriver that injects blood into your ear <laughs> um like there's that there's but that's it. It's just this series of like, oh, and now a zombie's attacking me. I'm gonna wrestle with it, stab it, chuck it. There's the bit down in the the basement when he's caught off guard because it's dark and he wasn't expecting it, and 
you know, he's trying to do some other stuff. I can't think of many other bits where someone's particularly. Well, that's a good. That's a good example. He's he knows he's down there with another zombie. He's already fought it off once. Fucking shoot it in the head. Why are you messing about? He's trying. He misses. Like put your back against the wall at least, for Christ's sake. Yeah, and then there's a Harry Krishna who just lumbers up the stairs, and this woman just sort of slowly walks backwards from him. She starts stacking boxes up against the door. Why don't you just carry on doing that? It must have taken about twenty minutes to get up those stairs. Because it was knocking them over. She she realizes they're not. They're obviously not heavy boxes, Alan. But you I, can see there's barely anything in them. The way she's moving them around, they're they're obviously pretty light. But the zombie the zombie lumbers at you. You kind of just shove it in the chest. It'll step back. It steps towards you. You shove it in the chest. It'll step back. You could just stay there forever. Just no, pushing I, it away until someone comes and helps. I, they don't attack no, they're you. Not they don't try... they're, they're not presented as being that weak, Alan. They're presented as being mm. strong, like, as a normal person. And, you know, your your average man is physically stronger than your average woman. I hate to say it, but, like, that is biologically a thing. You know, it's quite believable that a Harry Krishna zombie would present a legitimate threat for a pregnant woman. I think for anyone. I think, like, I really I really was sold on the idea that, you know, the zombies, I don't think they're super strong, but whatever it is that is driving them, they can, you know, they can use their entire body weight against something. They're as strong as a human being, and they don't tire. Mm. And I think whenever the male characters, you know, are in similar positions and push a zombie away and run off, they're putting their full, you know, body weight into it. They're really pushing hard. They're not just, like, batting it away like a fly. It's, you know, this is something that does come up in zombie movies and things like The Walking Dead. But in this film, I don't think it's guilty of it, particularly. I think that every time they deal with a zombie, you know, you do get a sense of, like, right, that's... Maybe not an immediate massive threat, but it's certainly like, oh shit, this is going to take my full attention for a few minutes because, and if two or three of them get me at once, then we're in trouble. If I can agree with Alan on something though, like I I, I don't mind the zombie attacks themselves. I, I do feel like from this point on, the film is a bit too long and there is a bit too much of the characters running through the various things and I lose track of what they're trying to do at some point, how they're trying to funnel them out and then you have all of these extended scenes of them, um, you know, bringing in the lorries and trying to flush out the zombies and all that kind of stuff going around the thing and I, I do feel like it is a bit too long. Right, so... I watched the Argento cut yesterday in preparation for this for the first time. Mm. I kind of expected to, if anything, like it more because it shaves 20 minutes off. And yeah, Dawn of the Dead, I do think, is pushing the limit of how long it can get away with being. The main difference with the Argento cut is it's all action. There's basically no characterization. Uh, The newsroom stuff at the start is like almost gone completely straight into the SWAT team stuff that goes on for ages. And so, you know, all the scenes where someone stands around watching a TV signal and there's nothing, it's just static. And someone says, why are you doing that? And he's like, look, it might come back on. They're all gone in its place is just the, the action scenes. I like, see, I like those character bits. It does not work nearly as well. I I was really struck. If you ever want to see a masterclass in the difference a subtle bit of editing can make to a film, the Argento cut feels like the shitty Italian zombie movies of the 70s and 80s with no substance, 
a plot that's difficult to really care about. It's just a load of guys running around with a music bed playing over all the scenes. Uh, Goblin's score is used in both versions, but it's just, like I say, a music bed playing over the top of everything in the Argento cut. Barely any news clips on TV. It, it has no room to breathe. Having watched it, I, I welcome the extra running time in this film and the slower moments. I, I think they're actually really vital to the film working as well as it does. The film feels kind of... The film kind of washes over you without them and feels very dreamlike and ethereal. I don't know if it's the slower moments that I'm reacting to. It is the action moment, what, what I think is yeah, supposed to be an slow action, action. moment. Yeah. The truck thing is a good example. They go out into the lorries and they drive a truck down the road and they park it right in front of the doors to stop the zombies sort of like pushing against the doors, whatever. And then he has to hop from one into the other and all that. It was a nice little, a nice, a nice idea. Like that's a, I like that they're doing that. It's giving them an impetus to do something. It, it, it needs to be done in half the time. And then the guy goes, well, just three more to go. And I thought if they show him doing three more of this and it's the exact same thing where he's like, oh, nearly got me. I'm going to fucking, that's setting up the fact that the next time he's sloppy, he gets caught yeah but it was just too much like just let him get caught unawares or he's he gets cocky this is my favorite bit of the film like this whole once brad bird has been bitten and then it's like he's gonna turn into a zombie but then they've kind of got them all to themselves and they are just you know going around it doing Mm. video games and all that kind of stuff uh we have the scene where uh brad bird turns into a zombie and then Ken Forey kills him and it's so, such a fantastic sequence that whole thing where you know that it's coming and the sheet kind of comes off of him mm. uh Francine and the other guy are in the they're there but they've sort of made this little apartment or they're starting to form this little apartment thing which yeah. is cool and then there's the time jump as well which I really like I love that they build a fake wall mm. over a corridor in the mall to like hide themselves away. I think that's such a a great element in mm. this film. Mm. And obviously, you know, it 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 would have saved the day. They would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for bloody Flyboy retaining memories from his human life once he becomes a zombie. But mm. anyway, mm. Um, yeah. So if if anyone is listening to this who hasn't seen the film, which I think is quite unlikely. Yeah, the characters build a fake wall over uh, an entrance way to this kind of staff-only bit of the mall, so they can live in it safe from ever being found. Mm. Yeah, they're not. That's not worried about the zombies. That's for if when some humans come yeah. sniffing around, which you know eventually does happen. Yeah, because they they anticipate there's a helicopter on the roof that's going to draw attention to this place. People are going to think that there's people in here. So they anticipate other people trying to come and get in on their their sweet deal in the mall. And obviously It's a do. lovely setup for like some kind of interesting conflict that could have taken place if someone else maybe had sort of written the film or, you know, because it is sort of like, what if, it, what if it was just genuinely just, you know, decent people like them who wanted to come in here and be safe and all that. But no, it's Tom Savini and a bunch of biker hillbilly psychos. (laughs) One hour, 40 minutes into the film, we introduce this new antagonist. Yeah. What's wrong with that? They're They're the climax of the film. Oh, it's much too late. They needed setting up earlier on. Time for third act escalation now. So here's 
yeah, this bunch of people who are just horrible and are going to take them all from them. There's no kind of interesting uh, conflict going on. It is just these are bad people and they're coming in here and we've got to stop them. They're like cartoon motorcycle gang. <laughs> yeah. I like that though. I, 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 I've seen so many films where it is just another group of survivors and it's just like, they're people like us. Are we going to let them in? And there's a, an annoying bickering rift. I mean, Night of the Living Dead does that. You know, it's 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 every zombie movie, and I like here that it is just a clear cut. Oh, it's just some complete and utter dickheads who you know are going to cause trouble. And I think they're just solid in and out action. I think if they weren't two dimensional villains, then the film would take longer to wrap up, and you don't need that at this point. Introducing actual proper characters at this point in the film would be a mistake, but they're not. They're they're a a force of nature that comes in to fuck everything up. And yeah, they come in, brute force their way into the um, mall. The Argento cut has a lot more of like the action showing the actual logistics of them breaking their way in, which doesn't add anything to the film. And then we just get a load of them fucking about in the mall, which I love. I, I love that uh, there's like a Mexican biker who keeps trying to get on the blood machine. <laughs> Now, all right, Alan, I will give you that is a character who makes an inexplicable decision that makes no sense. I'll give you that. He tries to test his blood pressure whilst (laughs) zombies are eating him. But he tries to do it like three times. He does Mm -hmm. it once at the start and then a guy comes over and goes, the fuck are you doing? (laughs) There's there's zombies like all around and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when, when the shit hits the fan, he just goes back on it. This was it. I I was just. It it really did feel like this was a a different movie that had crashed into this one. I uh, up until this point, I felt like I was following like real people and like these bikers. It's like it's quite a while. Mm. Like the Francine is quite visibly pregnant. I don't buy that these bikers would have had they had this attitude for the last few months. I don't think they'd have survived this long. Uh, they they're very cavalier about all this. And so I'm just like, ah, this doesn't feel like a natural, this doesn't feel in Mm. keeping with the rest of the film. So it it really did lose me in this third act. But I I, I think, you know, it's not that the zombies overwhelm them. It's that these people fight back and they're not expecting it. And then the zombies overwhelm them in the chaos of people shooting back at them and hiding in the air vents. So Mm. I buy it. I think it's fine. They're, They're expecting to go there and find you know a few survivors and just take everything i i do think obviously there are some inexplicable moments of comedy but those are throughout the film um to some extent the the Mm. blood test guy is bizarre and Mm. i can't really justify it but i love it i'm happy it's there they have a pie fight uh Mm. with the zombies I like that. Uh, <laughs> what else do they do that's silly? They're swinging around. On, at one point, one of them grabs onto um, the kind of decorative um, bunting. bunting, that's it, and swings down. And, and when they let go on the ground, they're holding a, a thick piece of rope. I like that. <laughs> and I think Tom Savini, personally, I, I think he's fantastic here. I think he's just incredibly charismatic, chewing the scenery as this big mustachioed, machete-carrying biker. I, I think he's great uh, screen presence. I think he should have had a cock gun, and that would have really made it. That would have made it, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Again, the, the Argento cut here is very different. The The Romero cut is tr- going for a sense of fun and comedy, and absolutely there, there's the inf- uh, very iconic, I would say, sequence where the zombies all lumber around the mall, sort of in the aftermath of this, with the piece of music, the gonk, playing that... <laughs> bit of library music sort of mall music mm. um and you just get all these shots of the zombies over there again i love love that sequence so much um in the argento cut the whole biker thing is done without music and just the sound of like bike engines roaring and whenever you see the characters you know hiding from them you just hear this kind of muffled biker noise so it's trying to be a lot more serious and ominous and i, I don't think it works nearly as well. I don't know, maybe this just doesn't feel like the right place to have that kind of thing. Things pick up for me when um, because, uh, what's his name? Flyboy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he gets caught by zombies and bikers in, in this whole thing and he ends up being turned into a zombie and in in a quite a well-paced and really effective scene, I thought, sort of leads the other zombies mm. to this fake wall and then they break through and they go up to Francine. Francine and Peter have been waiting up all night in the hope that he's still alive, even though they know he's probably dead, so they can get to the helicopter and escape. I like the moment where Peter is... He realises the guy is not answering the radio, he must have been caught, so he's running back in. Then he hears gunshots. He's like, Oh, well, he's obviously still alive because he's firing a gun at him. And he's like, has this moment of hesitation. Like, do I go back? Should I try and help him? Mm. No, and he doesn't, obviously. There's little moments like that. And especially with that character, I think that character is by far the the best thing in it. But in Mm. general, I liked the acting. Um, I think the characters, Mm. I hated all the characters in terms of them as people. But I think the character elements that are there, if have been better handled... Uh, the, it's all there. There's a lot of just subtle facial acting, you know? There's a lot of the film told with looks between one another, and it isn't all just exposition dialogue, which I think it would be very easy for a film like this to be. Um, can we talk about the music a bit? Because mm. this film has a very iconic, certainly among film uh, horror film fans, uh, score by the band Goblin, who are uh, an Italian band... Uh, they are Dario Argento's doing, their involvement here. They, they've done a lot of very famous, influential, largely Italian horror films. Suspiria is the other big one, apart from Dawn of the Dead. And I think they have a real distinct style and vibe. I, I love them, to be honest, as a band. I think they're great. And I love uh, the music they've put together for this film, for the most part. George A. Romero's cut makes a lot of use of their music and a fair bit of use of library music and it's kind of a mixed bag i think i i I like most of what they do here but there are a couple of moments such as when peter decides to not kill himself and you have this library music it's just very like (laughs) i hated that the argento cut is wall-to-wall goblin but like i say it's like a music bed it just kind of plays the entirety of these tracks over the top of scenes and means you can't really follow any of the character and, and 
story level stuff going on because it's just action with music over it but i mean look i i love that the gonk bit of mall music that we were well i was on about before i think that's a great bit of music that they found library music i think it's got a really unintended eerie undertone that uh plinky plonky bit of music they play and it's wonderful <laughs> Uh, there's a piece of music called Lacacchia, which is used a few times, or Lacaccia, which is that kind of dun dun dun. great that that's used for a lot of the action scenes it's just kind of upbeat and fun and there's the main theme which plays towards the start of the film in the romero cut and right at the start in the argento cut which is this very lumbering doom, 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 doom. But then these little electronic bits come in and it, it's so atmospheric and so creepy. And I think it's one of the best film theme tunes of all time, I did think it was very atmospheric for the most part. Um, yeah, and I didn't. It didn't jump out at me as in, oh, I'm noticing it, which is what I like in a score. But it, it definitely worked. I, I think it's in stark contrast to the music in Night of the Living Dead. It's, it's such a different approach to putting music in the film. Yeah. But yeah, they um, anyway. They they run upstairs, hop in the helicopter, and and ride off into an unknown future. She, he says how much fuel is there. She says not a lot. And he goes, all right. <laughs> I think that's a nice final moment. Yeah. It, zombie movies are notoriously difficult things to end. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. Because you, 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 kind of, you kind of either have everyone dies or they kind of... The siege happens, they get overrun, and some of them run off into an unknown future. They're kind of your two options. That's why the Walking Dead comic book series was so revolutionary. It was like, well, what happens if we keep following these characters and keep seeing what happens? And there isn't that kind of annoying ending you get everywhere. Because after the first few issues, we've done it and moved on. Hmm. Dawn of the Dead. I love it. I I really, you know... I. I I, I've always kind of swung back and forth on which of George Romero's films is my favourite. Um, it's changed a lot. And I, I have, I think, pretty firmly established that I think Night of the Living Dead is the best one now. But I also think Dawn of the Dead is just terrific, and it's very much its own beast, and I love it. As a film in this genre, I think it gives everything you could want from this sort of a film, if you're into this sort of thing. So I, I give it a 10 out of 10, personally. I, I think Ooh, it's wow. a phenomenal film. Oh, I can't wait till you hear oh. what I get it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go next. I, I, I already know I'm going to be furious, so whatever. 
10 out of 10. A 10 out, this is a perfect film. That's what you're saying. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's perfect. That's not what a 10 out of 10 is. What I'm yeah. saying is if you put every film in rank order in the world, this would be in the top 10th percentile. That's not how my rankings work. Well, it should be. That's assuming that there is an exact uh, um, spectrum of, of film quality. Yeah, well, if it, that, if you're taking issue with that, you're taking issue with the very notion of rating a film out of 10 in the first place. Well, you're not yeah. taking issue with <laughs> my like reasoning. Well, I'll um, go next. Uh, uh, I... Uh, oh, no, I, I really enjoyed this, actually. I think this is only the second time I've seen it. So I think I, I saw it with you at university or maybe i watched it in my own horror marathon of the dead or whatever um but and i remember not really clicking with it i remember sort of being like oh well whatever this time i really engaged with it this time and i really enjoyed it for the most part um i have issues with the third act mostly which is um where most of my criticisms are and uh, i i know that Sloppy third acts are kind of part and parcel with the, you know, I, I don't know if I would necessarily want them to turn on the TV and then it's like, aha, there's a cure and then that's the ending. I know these things are very difficult to to finish. Um, but for the most t- for the most part, I had a fantastic time with it. I really liked these four characters, and whilst I don't I don't know if I find it very scary, um, there were some good creepy moments. Um, it, there was a nice intensity. It's an eight out of ten from me. Well, I hated it. <laughs> Um, I found it extremely infuriating it was it was like there was lots of ingredients here that are good and that I liked but they were constantly overshadowed or undercut it's far too slow it's 40 minutes too long disagree under kind of uh, a less emotional bearing I would probably give this say a 5 but it, it also for whatever reason just really hit my buttons I was so angry watching this film I was so annoyed uh, so I gave it a three out of ten. What the fuck? That's just insanity, <laughs> Alan. Your 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 taste is bizarre because you you you've got really angry at this film, but you've given very little quantifiable reason or like points of things that really annoyed you. And yeah, you think it's the same as Diary of the Dead. I mean, fair enough, but that's insane. Now you know how I feel. Is this the most we've ever disagreed on something? On pure numbers? Possibly. Yeah, it probably is. Seven points between us. Yeah, probably. I don't think we'll. I think we're both kind of going too far in opposite directions. Like, I know mine was obviously... Like, I don't think it's really that bad, but in in real filmic terms. But a 10 out of 10 is crazy. Is it, though? You know, this is one of the big classics of cinema. It's not that insane to give this film a 10, I don't think. it's Yeah, know, I think very... particularly for the genre, it's pretty iconic. It Yeah. It's, it's very well regarded. I mean, this film had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for the longest while. I think it has come down since, but... Cool! <laughs> I'm surprised that you would put this on par with Survival of the Dead, which is... <laughs> Oh, Diary of the Dead, which I, I, I were in a completely different league to me. <laughs> but this is this is the thing with Alan is that he he doesn't seem to be able to differentiate between things within a franchise, if you know what I mean. It it, it we 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 ran into this with um, the Fast and the Furious, where he, he like just he couldn't conceive of the notion that like the later ones are better than the first few, even if you don't like them like myself. He was like, oh, it's all the same. <laughs> 
you know, Transformers, he couldn't see a difference between Transformers 2, the writer's strike one, and, like, the first one. Well, it's just like, oh, look, there's some robots, they fight. Yeah, but one of them actually had a script. I don't know, you using the Transformers as, like, as if there's anything Because there the second all. one is so much worse than the rest of them. They're all crap, but... I don't know if I could... I couldn't... I mean, I couldn't tell you anything that happens in any of them, apart from a drunk Merlin. <laughs> All that stayed with me is that in one of them, Mark Wahlberg makes a really impassioned defence for statutory rape. Oh no, it's not Mark Wahlberg, is it? It's another character making the defence to to Mark Wahlberg. He points out a legal loophole that allows him to sleep with an underage girl in that specific state. Yeah. What is, why is that in that film? That's so weird. Anyway. It's very odd, isn't it? Yeah, but it's funny you should bring up Transformers because I think that's a good segue into <laughs> the film that we're going to look at next, which I felt uh, had some... Yeah, reminded me of an era. Can I ask a question of Sol? And I ask it with due trepidation. I, I'm not saying I want the full answer here, but can you give us a kind of history of the slow versus fast zombie situation Mm. uh yeah i mean slow zombies were the first ones obviously although they took a while to really establish that they are slow when they were figuring out the rules but it always seemed to be the kind of intent that they're slow or lumbering there are fast zombies that predate the uh, year 2000 or so. I think most people think that 28 Days Later and the Dawn of the Dead remake invented this concept. Uh, they did not. Uh, I think the most famous example of, of running zombies that predates this is Return of the Living Dead, the kind of semi-sequel to Night of the Living Dead made by John A. Russo's camp, but a franchise that kind of spun off from it where the idea is that Night of the Living Dead was based on real events when the characters encounter zombies, they try and follow the Romero rules, but those don't work. You know, killing the brain and the head doesn't stop them. They they just keep coming. Uh, so those zombies run because they're just like people, but they're not like rabid sprinters. They're just like people who want to eat, who can talk and everything. There is a film from, I think, the early 80s, possibly the late 70s. I think it was the early 80s, which is an Italian horror film, very trashy, called nightmare city which has running zombies that run around and attack although they're kind of on the cusp between vampires and zombies i think the director said he kind of thought of them more as vampires they're you know they're they're infectious corpses who attack people but they seem to like drinking blood rather than actually eating people and they use weapons and stuff and they run but it is a real clear-cut concept these things run I think that was a very, you know, new idea, really, in the noughties. And like I say, 28 Days Later was the first kind of definitive, these things are running as fast as they can, and they're really manic. Dawn of the Dead followed, the remake obviously followed, what, two years after 28 Days Later? One year? Was it 2002? Yeah. Yeah. So this Dawn of the Dead remake was two years after that. I don't know if they got the idea from that film or if they just... In 28 Days Later, I know that they're like infected with a virus kind of thing rather than being yeah. the actual kind of walking dead. That That's right, isn't it? So like that's yeah. like a... That is a, a distinct change where we can go, okay, this is a different concept, albeit very similar, so they can run. We, we get it. The fact that they're dead and lumbering makes sense. These guys are still alive. It's more rabid. Um, but with Dawn of the Dead, it's just, hey, they're fast and dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
and so you know it, it's it's just they're zombies but they're not impaired in the kind of lumbering ghoulish way you know the dead come back to life but they're really angry and have all their kind of motor function intact it seems like capable of uh, making use of their bodies in a way that traditional zombies aren't. Mm. So yeah, Dawn of the Dead 2004, I think it's fair to say was quite innovative, even though it wasn't the mm. first film to do this. I, I, you know, I'll give it that distinction. I've, I have a question for you, actually, Sol, um, just before we share thoughts on the film. Why this one? Like, why did they choose to remake this one? It, was it just the, the mall setting that was appealing? Or like, why this one and not you know, continue on, on the series with a different, you know, without Romero, or why not? Was Night of the Living Dead too overdone at this point? I don't know if you have much scope to make a film with this kind of zombie where you just have a few people hide in a farmhouse because the zombies are probably going to break in immediately and the film will last 10 minutes. Um, in fact, mm. Barbara won't escape from the cemetery in the first place. The zombie will just get her there, <laughs> probably. So I wonder if there's perhaps that aspect there, just more scope to to explore. Uh, Dawn of the Dead's a, a classic in its own right. I, I think it, you know, it is a famous, well-known film mm. You know, on, on its own terms. It stands alone from Night of the Living Dead. I think some people had the rights to Dawn of the Dead and were like, how can we cash in on this? You know, there's already Night of the Living Dead remakes out there and there's no point making a kind of sequel because without George Romero's involvement, it's not really going to be a proper sequel, even if we say it is. In terms of a remake, this is very much some people survivors hole up in a mall during zombie apocalypse. That's the beginning and end of it, really, isn't it? It's a totally different... Yeah, kind of set characters yeah, yeah. and and set up and stuff. Yeah, which is okay. I think that's just yeah, that's a great concept. Let's do it, but bit of a new take on it, different characters. The the producers that made this film, I I know they basically just wanted to do they wanted to do for Dawn of the Dead what uh, John Carpenter did for the Thing. And what David Cronenberg did for The Fly, mm. I think they, the way they've spoken about it, they felt that this was a great film that people love, they love, but it is dated. You know, Dawn of the Dead is very much a film from the seventies, and it, especially with special effects and makeup and so on, it, it it's it's not, it's definitely not scary by modern standards. So, I think they just saw the potential to do a, a legitimate, loving modern update or fresh spin on things. And yeah, that's kind of what they did to give them credit. I, you know, this for a good 10 years, I would say, displaced the original film in terms of the cultural zeitgeist. I I feel like the original is starting to reclaim its spot now. But, you know, for a while, I think if you said Dawn of the Dead, people were like, oh yeah, that Zack Snyder movie with the running zombies. (laughs) Great. Yeah, Yeah, I remember it being more um, in the public consciousness uh, at a time, and now I feel like that has faded somewhat. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we need to go into... Are we going to go into the plot as as detailed as we did the 70s one? My thoughts are a bit more general, really, but I don't know. I don't know if there is as much plot, to be honest. You know, you've got this madcap... 10-15 minute opening sequence which is arguably the best part of the film where yep our, uh, <laughs> I would argue that Sarah Polly um, I can't remember what her character's called she is a nurse she wakes up one morning the kid that she said hi to from next door 
is inexplicably in her house. I still don't like that that zombie just finds its own way into the house without any kind of noise or anything. Um, mm. And then it's just a, an, a sort of adrenaline fueled action scene where the daughter attacks her husband or boyfriend. Uh, he turns into a zombie, he attacks her, she gets in a, a escapes out the window, people smash through doors... She gets in the car, people are running around, it's chaos, there's a huge explosion, like massive fiery explosion after a car crash. And then pretty swiftly she bumps into Vingrames and they bump into some more people and they go to the mall, which is just there, coincidentally. And then there are more people there and then more people arrive, there are so many people in this thing. But all this happens and we get into the mall by minute 16, I kind of made a note. Because I thought it was really tight, but it tells us a story... The stuff with setting up her as a character was a bit on the nose for me. It's just like, oh, I'm an overworked nurse, but I'm a really good person. Look at me. I talk to children in the street and they like me. Aren't I great? It, it was just, it, I, I appreciate you just trying to set up some nonsense in a few minutes, but it was a bit kind of Americana for my taste. And then she goes out. She just bumps into Ving Rhames, the policeman. He's just... You know, he's just the right place, right time. But that's okay. There's just sort of survivors wandering around. They kind of awkwardly decide to stick together. And then they just sort of go over the hill and there is a beautiful empty mall with no zombies in the car park whatsoever. Yeah, very convenient. Yeah, A bit. Like, they could have at least like had to sneak in or something, but okay. Then very quickly we establish three more security guards in the mall. I love that. I, I think if you're going to add more characters in, Add some fucking mall cops on a power trip. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, we we pitch our own ideas for sequels on this podcast. I, I would like to take the opportunity to pitch Paul Blart 3, Dawn of the Blart. <laughs> it's just Paul Blart, but with zombies. I think that would work really nicely. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. okay, I can see that. Then we have these other characters, but I do feel, still at this point, I feel like, okay, I know who these characters are, and I've got a sense of the yeah. dynamics. And, you know, it very quickly becomes this power play between this dickhead security guard. And I'm not saying the characters are really great and subtle, but they're there, they're solid, I know what's going on. I'd say they're on par with your standard George A. Romero script. Well, I think this is what I'm getting at with why Dawn of the Dead earlier version wound me up so much because it's like so close to being this very interesting character piece whereas this is an action film with enough character to pull me through and that's all i expect that's all i need whereas with the other Mm. one i there's so much there's much more there to have and it feels like it's so close whereas this i know what i'm getting and it worked for that level. I've made a lot of notes. I've just found a piece of paper where I was scribbling notes about this film down. So I'm sort of crossing them out as we go. Well, shall we deal with the Zack Snyder situation? <laughs> okay. So we have spoken about... Yeah. We've, we've covered on this podcast Batman v Superman yeah. very early on. Uh, Watchmen very recently. Is that it? For Zack Snyder, I think we've probably made some disparaging comments here and there. <laughs> I like Sucker Punch. I liked Sucker Punch when I saw it back in 2011. I, I am hesitant to say that I still <laughs> would like it if I watched it now. I, I need to revisit it. But I saw it again in 2017, and I think I liked it again then. <laughs> <laughs> but as a general rule of thumb, I don't think we're big fans of Zack Snyder on this podcast. I, I think... 
I am That's fair. more a fan of him than you are, Alan, but even I think of him as quite a crap director. Well, to be honest, <clears throat> I, d- I think I'm I'm not a fan of the sort of films he makes. Mm. The fact that he makes them well or not is not that crucial. I will. I want to say, though, sort of up front here, that this film has a real visual style to it, and like on that level... Mm. I think it works. There's some really interesting moments. There's some moments that are really weird and and yeah. are obviously him just getting a bit carried away. And I think obviously as he's got more freedom and more as he became successful, that has taken over a bit more. Okay, well, this of course was his directorial debut. It's therefore arguably the most on a leash he's ever been as a director. Mm. This is generally speaking the film that people point to when they try and make the argument that he can direct films well. I'm not convinced. I think that this film is very stylish and has a great visual sense about what it's doing, but I think it is at the expense of making the film work in the way that I think it is intended. I I think this film is something that should be utterly terrifying conceptually, um, and if not scary on the base level, there should be a sense of utter despair and hopelessness that permeates this film, because the situation they're in with these zombies, it is, you know, you're fucked. You, you've got as long as you can keep a low profile in this mall but it's it's a lost cause none of that comes across this film has no tension or horror about it Mm. and i think that's because it's too stylish and otherworldly and music video like to ever connect on a human level or feel remotely real it just feels like you're watching a video game Mm. you know it's arguably not what Zack snyder was trying to achieve but i I think he was trying to make a scary film. I I think he approached this as, yeah, let's make a cool horror movie. What I will say is that the the best part of the film, in my opinion, is the best part of every Zack Snyder film and something he does remarkably well, uh, which is the opening titles. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I think the man cuts together an opening title sequence like no one else. The the choice... In fact, the, the choice of music throughout this film is largely inspired... People give James Gunn, who who's the writer of this film, as it happens, all this credit for curating a great soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy, but like it's just a playlist of good songs. This film has an inspired soundtrack. Johnny Cash singing The Man Comes Around over the opening titles, intercut with all this real-world news footage of of um of um protests and riots intercut with uh newly filmed stuff with people being zombies on like news cameras and so on it is fantastic and intercut with all the blood effects and so on like we're looking at blood in a microscope i i think the opening titles are brilliant i think they're good uh again talking about the music my favorite part of the film not the opening titles my favorite part of the film is the absolutely inspired use of down with the sickness as covered by richard cheese over Mm. a montage of them having fun in the mall You not like that, Alan? <sighs> I, that it just feels a bit too much like a novelty 
the whole soundtrack, it, it felt very much like, what kind of quirky song can I put on this scene? Down with the sickness is a a very well known song, yeah, but you credits. can't normally make yeah you can't I've normally make out the lyrics. It. <laughs> it, you will. It's it's a song that goes bow wah wah. It's that one, and then the people go get up, come on, get down with the sickness, and like yeah, get it. all ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. It's it's bordering on death metal, and the lyrics aren't particularly clever. But then Richard Cheese is a kind of comedy musician who does lounge covers of popular songs, and did, jokingly did a cover of of Down with the Sickness, where you can actually hear it. it. Gives it a really nice melody, I think, and all the lyrics fit so nicely. You know, I love that scene. I, I think it's inspired, but that's that's like the, the two bits that stand out to me are the needle drop moments. This film has a fucking weird color palette. If we're still talking about Zack yeah. Snyder. Mm. It's like this weird, vibrant color color grades they've done yeah. in the edit. Well, I think that's kind of a that is a that is a, it is a product of its era. I remember this era, this point in the mid two thousands. You see it in well in the X Bond film Casino Royale in the Transformers films as well. I think it's because color correction was only just becoming a thing in Hollywood in like the last like what five six years something like that. And you know the ease with which it was a you know you could do it digitally and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like at this time. The studios were kind of pushing what kind of, vi- you know, they were pushing more in music video kind of direction mm. and uh, maybe pushing it a bit too far, which is why you have these very strange very grainy, high contrast or is it low contrast? I don't know, there's lots of shadows, but the colour's quite vibrant Yeah, the, 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 it's the saturation on the colours is really pushed to the extreme, isn't yeah, it? Especially it, yeah, in the interior mm. scenes, like when they get out in natural light, it's alright. But... Honestly watching it, it, it felt like the settings on my TV were wrong yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I've made a note of a specific instance that I think kind of makes my point that the film has a, a unique style, but it's at the expense of the film really working like it should. Hmm. There, there's a shot where um, our main character washes her hands quite early on after getting into the mall in the fountain. Ah, yes. And we just have a shot from under the water, hmm. so a submerged camera showing the blood washing off her hands. It's just... Because I'm immediately thinking... Ooh, contaminated blood in the water. Because then we have this really big close-up of Ving Rhames cutting his arm as he falls into the water. So I thought he was going to get infected, like, cross-contamination somehow. But it just goes nowhere. There's a more egregious example. When the woman, who's like the trucker lady, she's going in to check on the guy with the baby. She smokes a cigarette. We have a long close-up on the cigarette being drawn. Then she drops it on the floor. And there's just a bizarre close-up of her stomping on the cigarette. In, in slow motion. Just a mm. bizarre choice. It's like, what? what? This isn't building tension. It's just a weird moment in the film. Exactly. It is a bit of a problem with Zack Snyder and I think some other directors of his ilk where, uh, you know, a shot exists because it looks pretty and we can put the camera here yeah. even though even though your brain tells you because the shot might be so unusual or because they're sticking on it that this is important plot information because that's how yeah. we're kind of hardwired yeah, and it, it, it just isn't. And that's, did Zack Snyder come from music videos? Because again, that yeah. feels like that's yeah, a music did, video yeah. thing where you just, yeah, okay, then that makes complete sense because, you know, every shot is just uh, you know a money shot, yeah. but that's what I mean. I, I I think this is a good example of why he doesn't direct films well because 
it's not in service of the story. It's everything exists in the there and now, and yeah. there's no sense of the bigger picture with it. But anyway, I, I think the the film obviously has a lot of money behind it in the way the original didn't, and I, I think that I mean not a lot of money, but more than the original film. It's a product of Hollywood rather than a little independent thing, and I think that really does help it when it comes to huge seas of zombies and like just crowds below um yeah because they've got a lot more extras uh even though i i get the impression that perhaps they've done a bit of digital trickery to make it look like there's more than there are there i'm not sure but it 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 does feel like a really nice overwhelming amount of zombies on screen which can be the the uh thing that brings down a lot of zombie films yeah but because because they're fast and aggressive zombies yeah you only need one for it to be a threat anyways okay so the first major thing that happens i think is this truck full of people turns up Mm. they're shooting people as obviously they're alive there's a bit of dispute where oh should we help them or should we not yeah obviously we should and then they come in and we never really get much character development from them at all there's a couple of them who like they're still there near the end i'm like who the fuck's that (laughs) like where did they come from Uh, so it it perhaps just introduces too many characters like if that was like four people in a truck you could probably handle it especially if one of them dies immediately and we establish they figure out that there's bites are killing people turning people into zombies it's not if you just die which is I believe Mm -hmm. different to what we've established previously in these other films but that that's not what is that part of zombie law what's what's the sort of rules there Um, George Romero zombie law is anyone who dies comes back and I think that's quite important to buy that such a thing could consume the world yeah. lots of people die every day and you'd very quickly become overwhelmed by that because uh, it would be the initial moments of panic that would allow the thing to really take hold and it means you can't really get on top of it because it's always gonna you know kill every zombie in the world and tomorrow you'll have another several thousand <laughs> fresh ones to deal with um but i i don't think this was anything close to the first film to just make it a purely viral outbreak like a transmitted in a bite and that's it thing i mean again 28 days later two years before obviously did that uh resident evil obviously a few years before did that i can't think off the top of my head of how it works in all these hundreds of 1970s shitty italian zombie movies but i'm sure some of those make it quite clear that it's you know a contagion return of the living dead even is you know specifically the chemical that's made the zombies infectious rather than anyone so yeah it's not a a new idea it's a quicker device it's a way a quicker way of getting zombies if you think you've only got to be bitten by one and you don't have to like actually full-on die before you turn it's also a lot more believable dare i say realistic that it's specifically a contagious like a thing virus something, yeah. so i i think that's just a product mm. of modernizing and simplifying the concept yeah mm. tell you what though it pissed me off that um it's it's an hour into the film that the characters even figure out that the bite <laughs> it spreads it <laughs> like <laughs> they don't even realize what's going on to that degree there's a conversation an hour into the film where they sit around and go oh the bite is the bite that spreads it and it's like, I know <laughs> this is obviously a world where zombie movies don't exist, but what did you think was happening when that zombie girl who's had half her face bitten off <laughs> walked into your bedroom that morning, bit your husband, and then he attacked you? Like, <sighs> I don't know if it's an obvious connection. I don't know about that. 
And and on a similar note, actually, when that fat woman gets bitten, it's like they completely <laughs> forget that zombies even exist because like the way they're talking about it they're not even considering the idea that yeah i mean you should look at her and go oh it looks like she's turning into one of them (laughs) should we be worried about that i think you would think hang on why are these people attacking us and going all mindless what's what's the well they've all been physically attacked by each other they've all got a wound on them so they do seem to want to bite me if they get me i don't know i i think you'd make that connection pretty quickly stuff like rabies presumably still exists in this world and anyway Mm. it really annoys me that there's like a it's like a dad and his daughter and at one point at one point that he's bitten or something and they're talking about whether or not they can shoot him and and he says you have to understand she's lost everyone it's like yeah So's every other person in this <laughs> yeah. room right now. The entire world has collapsed. Everyone's seen their loved ones die. It's a safe assumption that all their friends and family are dead. Like, what's your point, mate? That's why they can relate to it, perhaps, when he's, he's saying... Because, yeah, she's lost everyone else, but they're basically saying to her, look, we're going to have to shoot this guy, your dad, now. So it's about that. I do like that uh, Ty Burrell is among those guys, though, that turn up partway through. I kind of wish they just got rid of those characters turning up in the middle and just had Ty Burrell be someone from the start. I like yeah. Ty Burrell. Who's Ty Burrell? Which one's he? He's the one who's in Muppets Most Wanted, and he plays like a French inspector trying to figure out who... Oh, yeah. Oh, he's the... He's, he's in Mod- family he's the dickhead isn't he yeah he's that playing that yeah, character yeah. <laughs> another stock george romero zombie movie character there's a, a big bit where we see uh there's a pregnant character who has been bitten so make you make her boyfriend takes her off husband whatever he is takes her off there's a whole thing where he's keeping it secret and she's pregnant she's bitten and the whole way through you are just thinking where are they going with this because (laughs) it's gonna be some mixture of poor taste and incredibly dumb whatever you do with it so why are we even going down this this rabbit hole? And uh, you know, I I would say it comes out more on the side of being incredibly dumb than poor taste. Um, but we do get a CGI zombie baby. It's just unpleasantness, isn't it? Like I think, yeah, yeah. Just it feels like icky and petulantly unpleasant for uh, the sake of it rather than like i don't really need to see a pregnant lady die and then the zombie baby and all that kind of stuff it's mm. it's just needlessly i think there's there's a lot to be explored there about the guy like this baby means so much to him so even when it's a zombie he can't like let go of it you yeah, know but, but again, we don't get a chance to explore any of that it's the he gets shot in the head that's not new territory for a zombie movie either it's you know it's usually not a baby it's normally like a little child who's being kept in the basement on a chain but it's it's a well-worn trope james gunn wrote this script for this film uh, as i mentioned before who has now become hollywood royalty he you know directed the guardians of the galaxy movies and wrote them that's probably what he's best known for now but he started off as just a hollywood kind of hired gun more harry he hired gun yeah yeah <laughs> he did uh he did scooby-doo Scooby-Doo 2 and Dawn of the Dead, they were kind of his big breakout, I'm a screenwriter kind of roles. Now, 
I do think he does a lot to make this film what it is. A lot of why it works is down to him. Uh, I think the most blatant example of, of what he brings to the project is the scene where they are up on the roof shooting celebrity lookalike zombies, having a game <sighs> yeah, out of it. Yeah. I think that's such a nice injection of just personality into this film and a bit of fun. Mm. And I, that is pure James Gunn. Although, you know, the zombie baby bit, eh, that might well be James Gunn. To be fair, and I hate that, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. The most annoying bit for me uh, was when this stupid young woman chases after a, goes into the zombies after the dog. <laughs> which, when the dog <laughs> is in no fucking danger, that's the most annoying thing. And like, everyone knows it. That's the whole point of sending the dog. Talk about adding in a random character too late into the film. They go down into the basement in like the last third, and there's a dog down there. And then a zombie with no legs like climbs across a pipe and attacks someone. One, which is so so profoundly stupid i think hmm. it's it's arguably more dumb than the baby <laughs> stuff you know if, if they were trying to make some point like oh there's no zombies walking around we've done a sweep but this thing's climbing and we didn't see it but it just doesn't work at all anyway yeah then they realize there's a guy uh in a building across the way that they strike up a relationship with which i think is a lovely part of the film yeah i feel like it should have gone somewhere else though i didn't like the way that came yeah. to, came to to an end they communicate with whiteboards writing messages back and forth and then they send the dog over with some food and supplies for him and, and when he opens the hatch for the dog to get in the zombies follow it's a very very badly thought through plan <sighs> yeah it felt like there should have been more to it than that because it felt a bit too obvious like why would you do that it's too dangerous this is before the bit you're talking about where the the woman who loves the dog chases her, you know, goes on a suicide mission to retrieve the dog who's obviously fine. Um, <laughs> and then there's a really annoying bit where they're like, oh, he's alright, he's on the roof, he's writing something, and then the zombie lifts up the sign with blood all over it. Oh, I wanted it to say brains in big big letters. <laughs> I was really hoping for it. <laughs> it's just, these zombies are, are so, like, animalistic. They've shown no indication of the Romero-esque retained memory thing in the film whatsoever. Yeah. Apart mm. from, I guess, being drawn to them all. It's just such a dumb moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, they, they devise a plan well, they've to already... build an A-team style tank and escape. They've already done that by that point, but then they're not ready to set off yet, but they have to go and rescue this stupid woman. Mm. Well, the, the dog is sent over to try and get this guy ready so they can rescue him, isn't yeah. it? And it all goes wrong. But yeah, they, so they pimp up A-Team style, full-on A-Team montage of them doing, what is it, a school bus or something? And turning it into like a yeah. tank. And then we just have a really, it's just overbearing action scene where they try and get out and they're chopping out, they're chopping zombies up with chainsaws through the gaps in the thing. They're, they're lighting up propane tanks and throwing propane. it into the crowd and shooting them. And then, and, <laughs> and then the, the things are exploding with explosions as big as when the petrol station exploded at the start <laughs> of the film. It's it's ludicrous. And it's, it's that whole thing of less is more. There's too much going on to take it all in. And therefore it just ceases to register as any sort of a threat story. Hmm. 
And anyway, yeah, then they uh, they make their way to the pier where this guy has a boat. I know they set off a bit kind of ad hoc because they accidentally let the zombies in, but they don't even take any food with them on this mission. <laughs> they like just take a bunch of guns. Yeah. It's like what? Like what is this plan exactly? It's not <laughs> well thought out. At all. Get to the guy's boat on the dock and ride off into the ocean. That's the whole plan. Yeah. And they pretty much manage it. You know, they crash the thing at the end. So the guy using a chainsaw accidentally chops the woman up inside. Oh, that's ridiculous. That was bizarrely unpleasant moment that just doesn't need to exist. But Um, fortunately we hadn't seen anything of that woman like we didn't know who the fuck she was anyway. (laughs) That's just it. It's like these two relatively pointless characters have this moment and it's like, God, just cut them out of of the script. (laughs) Um, You just don't need, if if, if their sole purpose is to sort of like, yeah, accidentally kill, you know, he accidentally kills (laughs) her, then that's a really terrible excuse for having a character in a thing yeah. anyway and Tyberell gets turned into a zombie but they grab his keys before uh, it happens, his keys to the boat. Uh, so a few of them manage to get to the boat and they ride off and that's the end of the film. And yeah, so then we just get a pointless bit of footage cut in over the end credits and they make their way to an island and the island's full of zombies and then they what presumably die. And that's the end of the film and it's completely pointless. And I, I mean, it is open-ended to the point that if they really wanted to, they could have made a sequel picking up with them, and they didn't die on that island. But the, like them getting to the boat at the end and f- floating off into the sea—that's your—that's your open ending. That's your helicopter off the mall end. Yeah, it's it's it, the whole film. Just I think there's a mean spirit to this film that mm. I'm not a huge fan of, and I think that's more Zack Snyder than anything because you see it in a lot of his films. I think George Romero himself summed it up pretty perfectly when asked his thoughts on the film, which uh, he said the first 15 or 20 minutes were terrific, but it sort of lost its reason for being. And I think that's pretty much this film in a nutshell. Yeah, that's exactly my review, actually. Uh, yeah, I hadn't seen this. Are we, are we doing wrap-ups? or? Yeah, I, I I mean, I've got one more note, if you want it, which is um, they should have killed a zombie and then it falls into a tank full of those fish that eat the dead skin <laughs> off your feet and all the fish... <laughs> swarm the zombie and eat it down and it becomes a skeleton. That's Mm. something I wrote down because I got bored while I was watching the film. (laughs) Yeah, but that's just it. Like, I I think I've only seen this film once before and it was probably not too long after it came out, maybe 2007, 2008, something like that. And I have really strong memories of the opening, like, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, well, and... I, I I don't know if you remember, Calvin, but I, I remember back in 2004, they aired the opening 10 minutes or something on Channel 4 when oh. the film came out in cinemas to promote it. The idea being hmm. everyone would watch it and go, oh my god, what an amazing looking film. We've got to rush to the cinema and see the rest of it. So it was like everything hmm. up until the, they get to the mall, I think. Yeah. And I remember seeing it, because I was sort of like, oh god, it's like this terrifying 18 rated zombie movie and I'm I'm 14 and terrified <laughs> of zombies and so I, I remember seeing those opening minutes and thinking yeah cool and then finally watching the film probably a year or two later on DVD and mm. yeah it doesn't live up to it does it no, no, but uh, I, I stand by those opening like fifteen minutes or however long it is. Like I think it is fantastic, um, really well done as as a shot of adrenaline. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you, we we've done Resident Evil on this podcast before, and you made the argument that look, not everything is high art. Some stuff is like McDonald's, just comfort food, junk food, and you know, I got annoyed because I I was saying, well. <laughs> That's not what Resident Evil is. Resident Evil is bullshit. 
And I would say Dawn of the Dead remake is your junk food, kind of trashy, easy to enjoy kind of take on this subject matter. Eh, I don't know. I'd I'd rather watch any of the Resident Evil films over this. <laughs> um, and and that's not to say that I think it's badly done here. I think for what it is, it's fine. A great opening fifteen minutes, and then it just kind of meanders, mm-hmm. and I get bored, and there's too many people. So I'm going to give it. Oh, I'm stuck between a five and a six. <laughs> uh, I can't quite. Five, five, yeah, five. It's not that, yeah, yeah. Now five. I'll go next because I think rather echoing. I thought it was fine for what it was. I think that's quite a nice way of summing it up. There's some really nice things Mm. in there. It's sort of let down by some just sort of things that could so easily have been better. Chop some characters out, you know. It's just like a little bit of trimming, and and you could make this really nicely. I think you know having Zack Snyder's visual thing going on in 2004 is kind of fresh and engaging Uh, even if you know yeah like you say the bigger picture doesn't quite work Uh, but it it kept my attention it's very pacey Uh, i i enjoyed watching it for what it is six out of ten obviously i have a very low threshold for what constitutes solid zombie entertainment i i give it a very generous i think seven out of ten really more of a 6.5 rounded up but you know I think it does what it does quite well, but... So where does that leave us in the world of zombies? Yeah, what are we looking at next? Well, yeah, of course, the the third uh, and for a long while final entry in the series was Day of the Dead, which came another nearly ten years on after this, so that's what we'll be looking at next week, along with Land of the Dead, the kind of additional latter-day sequel, um, and some of their remakes, because all of these films get remade and, and cashed in on come back for that and and did you know there, there was a sequel for this film in development for ages called army of the dead which has sprung back into life and is now being made by Zack snyder who never originally intended to direct it but i get the impression that it's been made as a kind of standalone film now rather than a sequel to this which is what it once was hmm. that's going to be out on netflix next year i think hmm. pandemic permitting Huh, interesting. Next week, Day of the Dead. Happy Halloween. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Till next Halloween, time. Yeah. No, not quite. Die.